Greetings, citizen. Welcome to the show, and thank you for listening. For more of the art of wargaming in your life, definitely check us out on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon account where you can do just that for as little as $1 a month. What we can offer will expand as the show does. If you don't have extra funds, but would still like to help us out, you can give us a like, share, or five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch? Feel free to message us or hit up our email, artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you because we know the world is vast, with many different ideas on tactics and strategy that can be applied to the games we enjoy. You're listening to the Art of Wargaming on the Ear Firm Network. Fiction Focus Part 1 of the Imperial Infantryman's Handbook Welcome to the Art of Wargaming on the Ear Verm Network. I am Yaga Malark. And I'm Thumbs. And we are coming to you today to talk about our fiction focus. And, and this time around, we are doing the Imperial Infantryman's Handbook. So we're doing the first little section of that. I don't know if you uh, Warhammer 40k fans have been able to go out and grab that one, but I jealously snatched it off the shelf the second I saw it, personally. Uh, we've been getting requests for this ever since we first announced the Fiction Focus. Yeah. No, it's a really good one. Before we even came out with these episodes, we're like, we're going to do this. People are like, you're going to do the Warhammer book, right? <laughs> and no, it's it's a really good book. Like, one of the things, and as we're going through it, um, we'll be talking about this too, but it has, I, I think that they definitely had at least somebody on who was like an advisor or or some sort of a consult because... This is scary accurate to like being in the actual military. Like I was, I was getting flashbacks to reading actual field manuals. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good book. If you haven't checked it out yet and, and you're into like the, the Imperial Guard, I would certainly recommend it. Yeah, I can't say for sure that Graham McNeil, who is the author, and I wanted to make sure we credited him. Um, I can't say for sure he did the military, but I would be surprised if he did not. And if nothing else, he was handed a bunch of military books and told to go. He does pretty good, too. He's one of the Black Library's hottest writers. And I, I, I don't mean physically. I haven't seen him physically, but I, I've read he his books. He might be, then. He might be. Yeah, he could be stunning. Graham McNeil, let us know. But yeah, no, his, his books are fantastic. I love his contributions to the Black Library, so uh, it does not surprise me that he wrote this one, too. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got a few things to talk about. I, of course, as I've been kind of ranting about the last little bit, have gotten into Gene Stealers. I picked up some more of those, actually, from a, a good friend of mine, Wug, because he was selling his, and I was like, uh, what, are you, what are you doing with those? He was like, selling them, and I was like, I'll grab them, because there was a few <laughs> things in there that I don't have. And these are the the, the human, not humans, the, the human-looking Tyranid people. Yep, they're, uh, again, they're, they're humans who have been infected by a Gene Stealer through something called the Gene Stealer's Kiss. And then those humans, when they breed, they give birth to hybrids, uh, like uh, hybrids between like a, a Tyranid and a human. And progressively through the generations, those hybrids become far more human-looking until they become almost indiscernible from a human. At that point, they become truly dangerous. They look like humans, but they sure are working on the side of the... Swarm? Swarm is the right term, right? Of the angry bug gods in the sky, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, so I've, I've been really getting into the lore. I'm, I'm currently reading um, Cult of the Spiral Dawn, which is fantastic. I, I enjoyed, I think it's written on the same planet that Requiem, 
uh, was because like the same dude did both of these books and they're both really good. So I, yeah, I've, I've got a suspicion that I think it's on the same world, but any, it's, it's a really good one. I recommend it if you're into anything Gene Steeler or Imperial Guard, there's a lot of Imperial Guard stuff in there too. So yeah, just basically, basically deep, taking a deep dive. I actually, I went out and bought the eighth edition codex too, not because I actually intend on using it. I know it's going to be obsolete here in you know, a, f a few months or so, hopefully, fingers crossed. But uh, it's just chock full of lore, chock full of different descriptions of the different units and everything. So I, I mostly just wanted it for the lore and the artwork. Well, if there's one thing that this book pr that we're about to cover proves, it's that 40K does the lore and the fluff better than any other war game that I have ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, you're not joking about that. It does it on the level of major major movie properties on like Star Wars level. Yeah. Other than it doesn't have, you know, the Mandalorian going for it, but they even talk about doing that sometimes. You know, I, I keep hearing rumblings from Games Workshop that they might do a movie or a, a series at some point. I, it would be gobbled right up. There's Warhammer 40k fans all over the world who, like the fan-made movies, are great. Like I've seen a lot of those on YouTube and some of these fan-made shorts are just incredible. So I, I would love to see what like an actual Games Workshop production looked like. I'm, I mean, I'm not even a big 40K guy, but I'm on the 40K cosplay group on Facebook. Oh, nice. J just, to, just to see what people come up with and people being like, oh, I whipped up this exterminate, or not uh, exterminate, Terminator armor. I'm like, how? <laughs> you have to wear stilts to wear that. You're 10 feet tall. That's pretty cool. Uh, the creativity of some of the folks in this community are is just absolutely stunning. That's why I'm... It's mind-blowing. I'm so stoked to go to like a Warhammer convention or tournament at some point because not only am I excited to play the game, but I'm, I'm really excited to meet these folks. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. Gene Steelers are awesome, and so is Warhammer 40k. But uh, Thumb's got something as well from the Bell side. A week or two before we recorded this, so... I don't know, probably a month before this episode comes out. Uh, El Presidente himself, Warmaster Hakan, who is president of Belagarth and president of Wrath and Yornai's very old friend. Praise be to uh, his name. Sorry. Yes, wonderful person. <laughs> Love him to death. Uh, and I think his buddy Real, and I should have looked that up before I recorded this, but formed Monster Tech together, which is an idea that Hakan has wanted to do for over a decade. Yeah, I've, I've heard him talking about it when we were living together forever ago. Yeah, he and I talked about doing it, and he's actually using the logo that I created back in like 2000, you know, 10 or 11 when we were first talking about doing this, which made me feel great, just got to say that. Uh, but it is, in his words, I think, artisanal weapon making. And I it like is, that. he. I know, it's it kind of sounds like the hipster burrito place that I go buy food, <laughs> but that's great because I love the hipster burrito place that I go buy food. But it is uh, handmade weapons on a like one-on-one -on -one basis so it's not just oh i can you know group order 20 sort he's not making like forged foam but a much more personalized a smaller group of weapons they have like four weapon types they can build with you know different things you can do on the handles he got an embroidery machine and on the front i got two bats and on the front of one he embroidered or someone embroidered i don't know if he uses the machine himself uh, a Stygian Lotus, and on the other, a Gelfsnick. Nice. And these are going to be 
shorty, I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear that, but my cat, who slept for two hours before this, decided now is the time to shriek at me. Well, that's that's the reason he slept for two hours, is so he could get his energy up to shriek at you. <laughs> Literally, as soon as I pressed play, his head lifted up, and I went, oh no. <laughs> but, uh, to, to the point of what we're talking about here, I, uh, these bats are going to become my, like, these are my I'm serious bats. Because mm. uh, they are real nice, and they look real nice. So this is... You know, hopefully this will become the, like, I pick up my bats and my squires or whoever I'm working with goes, oh, okay, it's time to focus up. And my intention is to snag these pictures from Thumbs and, and post them to our uh, Instagram and Facebook uh, when the show drops, just to kind of coincide so you guys can check out how, how pretty these look. Mm, I'm so excited. I, I sent you the pictures of the embroidered. And embroidery, and I know he had a machine here, but embroidery is one of those... It's one of those artistic skills that I have no head for. And without tooting my own horn too much, there's not many artistic Belagar things that I could just go, oh, nope, that's not for me. That's not one I could, that's not one I do. But that means that when I do find people who are good at it or like things that are well done, I'm all the more impressed because I know how difficult it is. Oh, yeah. And God, it looks good. Yeah, good embroidery is just, I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. For one thing, I have no idea how they do it. I mean, I, I understand the technique, but, like, I'm not an artist, so anytime people can create art out of, like, thread and cloth, just, it blows me away. For me, it's embroidery and chainmail. Those are the two that I'm like, I, I've tried it. I respect you for doing it. It's not a one I do. I'll just pay you to do it or yeah. trade you, which is our other thing of... I was telling you about this before we started recording. The number of what I've dubbed niceness wars that I have gotten into over the course of this, and I have seen people get into this across the, like, Belagarth crafting community. And what it is, is I, I got thinking about this today because I was going, messaging people of, like, I had commissioned something for them, or they had promised me something, or we were trading, or they had commissioned off of me, and I just lost track because this year was what it was, and being like, hey, we haven't talked in a while. How goes that project? Or, hey... Let me make sure that I'm right on what I owe you. And crafters are crafting so much stuff that they don't want to keep it in their house anymore. Sure, their houses are getting full. they got to get room for more crafting stuff. Exactly, it's what I've got going on. So we started crafting things for each other. And then you're like, hey, I made you this. And everyone's like, oh my god, that's amazing. Thank you so much. What do I owe you? And a lot of Belgrim, there's some Belgrim who are good at this. And man, I'm working on getting better at it. But a lot of Belgrim have trouble accepting payment. Yeah. Like, it's a gift. And I mean, for me, gifting is straight up one of my love languages. If I like you, I will probably give you a thing. But ironically, if you give me a thing, I feel obligated to give you a thing. Are you sure you're not Catholic? Uh, we've talked about this. I am Catholic <laughs> to my bones, just not in practice. You've just never been confirmed. Got it. So, um... Someone will be like, oh, no, I made this for you as a gift. And I'll be like, well, no, I have to pay you because you pay artists. Like, this is something I'm stopped from a very early age. And they're like, oh, no, don't worry. You can make me something if you want. I'm like, okay, welcome to the niceness war because you made me this thing, so I'm going to make you that thing. And we know that you are going to find a way to retaliate by making me another nice thing. And what's fun about this is some of it is people that I've been friends with for a long time, you know, my my 3D printer guy is making me lightsaber handles that I can put on Belagarth weapons. Ooh. Uh, yeah, they're and they're not going to be my nicest swords, but they'll be fun. 
Uh, that's Calcifer. Just give him oh, nice. credit. You know, someone else embroidered me stuff. That was Garnet. My friend Tesla is making me a really gorgeous shield. But like Squire Unicorn is who I want to mention specifically here because I had shared maybe one conversation with her. Like ever. And then she saw as a joke I was talking about... Um, oh, I was watching Muppet Christmas Carol like a month or two ago. And I was like, man, if I was any ghost, I would just be ghost of Christmas present. Like I would just wear that robe at all times. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'll make it for you. And I was like, oh, great. That sounds amazing. Ha ha ha. Not thinking about it again. Like, yes, because that's another crafty thing. People go, oh, I'll make you that thing. And you're like, sure. Great. Wonderful. But then she started messaging me with like, what about this fabric? And I was like, oh, that, that would look really good. And then she's like, okay, look, I've shown you like four fabrics. You need to pick one so I can get started. And I was like, oh, I do what? oh, we're really serious about this. Okay, this isn't a someday thing. And she's like, yeah, I'm sorry it took me so long. I didn't even know this was for real happening. But she's she's been sending me, she just finished it up, um, and she's been sending me pictures, and I'm going to wear this coat every day of my life. It is gorgeous. She silk-lined the inside of it, Malark. I mean, that's pretty tight. Like... <laughs> She silk lined the inside. There's, uh, it's fake fur, but there's fur lining on it. Like it is going to be like 95 degrees in Montana. And they'd be like, do you want to take that off? And I'll be like, I don't, I probably should, but I don't want to take it off. Look at this thing. That's fancy. Yeah. <laughs> it's fancy. Well, and I have been meaning for years to make good going around camp cold weather garb. And I don't know why, but I'm really bad at doing it. I just typically wear more layers. That's my technique. Yeah, it is a very Montana thing to do. But, like, I'll be like, I'm going to make myself a nice cloak, and then I'll come out with, like, six yards of fabric for completely different projects. <laughs> like, I don't even know what happened. I went into a fugue state, and now I have rainbows and galaxy prints. But not mm -hmm. the, like, fleece I went to go buy. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very me. So having this is going to be very exciting. And I, I wanted to call her out, one, because her work is gorgeous and she's incredible. And two, because I have been very impressed with how the crafting community has learned to deal with this by being kind to each other. It's been a great coping mechanism from what I understand. Mm -hmm. It's helped. And I mean, I am making stuff a lot. You, you'll get messages from me every week or two being like, look at these things I made. Uh, and I know I'm not the only one, so... You know, there's worse things to get messaged about. I, mm -hmm. uh, if people are like, hey, look at this cool thing I made. It's kind of like when the 14-year-old we have, she's like, uh, hey, look at this cool thing I made. If you want to see it. And I'm like, heck yeah, I want to see it. You're an artist. Oh, yeah. I'm not. Show me the thing. <laughs> Even if you don't generally want to see it, if an artist asks, can I show you the thing I made? You tell them yes. Well, it's, I usually get rewarded for it. Like, I don't know. I like art. You usually get a cool thing, and they feel better about themselves. Heck yeah. That's the good stuff right there. Especially, especially in such trying times. It's, it's always a good excuse to find a way to feel better. Uh, anytime I am kind to people, I feel better about myself, and I feel better about them, and they feel... It just... There's not really a downside for the most part. It's true. Yeah, and so like that's a good way of helping you and your community feel good. Uh, and actually, I've been working on a way to help me feel good, too, a little bit. And I was hoping to share that with you guys as well. That was a very smooth transition, please. This uh, was just lovely. Thank you. It was silky smooth, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so anyways, I started doing a new bag drill. I didn't, I did it on accident and I am sure, certain that I am not the first person to think of this. There are probably a, a thousand boxing coaches out there going, well, duh. But it was the first time that I'd kind of uh, come up with this on my own. Uh, but I had some music in my headphones and the music was kind of upbeat uh, in the, mu the sound, the music I was listening to specifically was harder, better, faster, stronger. If you don't know that song, you're too young. You've been listening to that song for a long time. Yes. And it's a great workout <laughs> song. Uh, but the, because it's, it's very driving. You, you want to go harder, better, faster, stronger. It makes sense. Uh, but I started throwing shots to the rhythm of the music. And I kind of made up a little rule for myself in that moment. I was like, okay, I can't throw the same shot twice within like a four or eight bar sequence. And so that makes you have to be really creative. And then just like throwing the shots constantly is actually a pretty good workout. So by the end of the song, I, I had worked myself pretty good. And I was like, I, I probably need to share this because I felt like this was, it was not only fun, but it was also a really good workout. So if you've got a Pell or a bag, um, certainly just put on some headphones, blast your favorite music and, and try to throw out some shots to the beat. And I think you'll, you'll be pleased with it. That's exciting. It was. It was. I very much enjoyed it. But I, I think we've jaw-jacked quite long enough, and it's just about time for us to start our first section, Requisitions for Camp. So what surprised me as I was reading this book because so much of this book, like, if you took it very literally, would kind of be what not to do, <laughs> was how much I translated this in my mind, and it'll come up across this, especially this section, good advice for forming a unit, if you look at the message beneath it, but not the, like, what they're actually doing. Like, there's a lot of advice on when to flog someone in this book. Do not flog people. A lot of interesting ways to execute people, too. Yeah. Also, do not execute people. <laughs> like, I, I, I shouldn't have to cover this, but I'm just not taking any risks. No flogging, no executions. Cover our bases. Yep, yep, yep. Of course, Thumbs is sitting here talking about, like, a Da Vinci Code reading through the lines, uh, a style of approach. For me, like I had said in the intro, uh, reading this, especially this section was very reminiscent of, again, the, the books we read in the army, the field manuals we had with, like, d the directness and the uh, kind of no messing around. They're just talking about what they're talking about. And it, it seems very realistic. Like, you're sitting there reading it, and you're like, huh, well, maybe I do have a LAS cannon. There, there, you know, there's no LAS cannon, but you're reading about it, and it's cool. So The entire time I was reading this, I was like, uh, and obviously you weren't reading it at the exact same time I was, but I was like, Malark is enjoying this so much right now. Yes. <laughs> I, I was very much enjoying it. Because, again, like, I, I never went anywhere cool. I was in the reserves. I was here in Montana. The most exciting thing we did was check in on the Canadians occasionally. But I, I did kind of get to be the company's librarian. So, uh, and, and the reason for that is I like reading field manuals. And if any of you are ex-military, you're going to think I'm crazy. Because so did my unit. But that's why I got the job. So... It works out for everyone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, so let's let's talk about these supply needs, uh, for uh, these requisitions for a camp. And the, the first one of this is supply. you got to have your supply. And these needs for a camp are kind of varied. Of course, you have your consumables, which are going to be food, water, and then whatever else you may wish to consume is kind of, of course, under this category. Fuel. 
wood, propane, electricity, fire starters, knowing how to use those fire starters. Now, this all falls under the, the section of fuel, for sure. And, uh, I mean, obviously, if you don't have the means to cook those consumables that we just spoke of, or to light your camp, or to heat yourself when you are cool, yeah, no, it can be an issue. So this is something that absolutely needs to be paid attention to as well. And then the other thing to be considering, of course, when you're looking at your supply needs of your camp, or, and this is, could be your, your larger camp, like you and your unit, you and your realm, or just you individually, is m medical supplies, you know? Like I can, I can, I, like antiseptic would be one that you definitely want to have on hand. Uh, Band-aids, almost even more important than band-aids, although you're always going to need a band-aid at some point, uh, is something like a foot wrap, uh, braces, if you have them, like just, you know, an ankle brace or something. You don't think you're going to need a wrist brace until you need a wrist brace. And there's almost always someone at an event that needs either an ankle or a wrist brace. Mm -hmm. And if you have it, even if you don't need it, there's a good chance that someone will think very highly of you when you're like, oh, here, I've got this. No, it's always a good thing. Like, I've got, I've got two of them now. Um, one for the left hand, one for the right hand for various injuries, and I, I take them with me to every event. I haven't had to use them or lend them out for a while, but they're there, just in case. Yeah, uh, I have at least one first aid kit. I usually bring two, just because I keep one in my car anyways. But I think I'm going to, before the next event, go out and invest a little more and have, you know, braces some of the some of the more like doesn't fit in a basic first aid kit safety stuff sure and i mean some of the things that would be in like a basic first aid kit would probably be anti-inflammatories as well something like ibuprofen or tylenol uh you know just to be able to like if you do get an injury or even if you're you're just your joints are a little swollen at the end of the day you know a little bit of ibuprofen can get you ready for the next the next session one thing that i don't see talked about as much and i wish it was talked about more is something like uh if anyone is having menstrual cramps, any kind of medication for that, any kind of uh, supplies you might need for that, definitely a good thing. And even if you're not the kind of person, I mean, like, that's not something I'm ever going to have to use. But uh, I have been the good guy when I had access to one of those for someone else. Yeah, again, anything that might help out your, your fellow community or your fellow teammates, like, that's, that's a good thing to bring. You know, sunscreen, bug spray are good things too. A lot of folks forget the bug spray right up until they're swollen, you know, and they can't see because of all the mosquitoes they've had biting on them. So that's definitely important. You of all people, because bugs love you. They do. I, I don't know if it's the typo blood or what it is, but they, they just love me. And so I, I definitely need to worry about that. But, you know, here's the kicker. My skin is sensitive to most bug sprays. So I have to, you know, find those ones that are okay on my skin, but also are strong enough to, to get rid of the bugs. So, because let's be honest, most of like the organic or the, you know, the homemade bug sprays, they may smell nice, but they don't really do much. Yeah, they smell nicer and they're so much less gross on your skin, but the chances of them working properly are significantly less. Literally watched a mosquito come down and, <laughs> and bite in the middle of a place where I had put the so-called bug spray. Oh, yeah, there's some skeeters where that's just, like, salsa for them. Oh, just a little bit more spice on there, all right. <laughs> and then I think you had mentioned uh, anti-contaminants as well. This isn't something most people think of. No, but the number of times that I've been like, I'm sure there will be water at this event, and then found out that maybe there wasn't. 
or maybe there was less than I thought there was. And, you know, usually I bring my own thing of water anymore, but if I don't, I'm increasingly thinking that anything that was useful to me when I was backpacking is probably going to be useful to me at a Belagarth event. I think that's a pretty useful assumption. So, like, you know, more than once, and it's embarrassing that this was more than once because it was at the same site every time, uh, I would go, oh, I think there was fresh water at Thabral. And, I mean, there was, but it was because people was giving it to me, not right. because it was actually there. And, yes, I should have brought my own water, and I was eventually learning. But, man, like, it is not hard to get a pump, or there is ones that you can just hang up. Like, you know, fill this thing with water, hang it up on a tree branch or something, and it'll, like, purify the water and drip out underneath. Or even just tablets that you can put in stuff. They may taste weird, but they will keep you from getting Giardia. And it would help so much. And this is definitely more of a thing in some of the places that you and I are more likely to have events, which is in the middle of nowhere dry alpine desert situations for those of our listeners in california you're sitting there scratching your head saying there's places without fresh water you're like why would you need this and we're like yeah you're fine but trust us like uh having made this mistake before and i have i am increasingly an overpacker in in the specific ways of like well i wish i'd had this last time and i figure if enough people overpack in that way Someone will have what you need. That's kind of the idea. Because there's always something I forgot. In, in terms of medical supplies, you really can't be too thorough. I mean, obviously, if you're dragging the whole pharmacy behind you, maybe consider slimming down a bit. You are too thorough at that point. Yeah, yeah. But the acquisition of these supplies can be varied. Remember, we got consumables, fuel, medical, and a lot of these things, of course, can be purchased, but many of them can also be made yourself. I know a lot of people who will bring homemade, uh, like, baked goods or something along those lines to an event. Ooh, a cookie's worth its weight in gold on oh, day yes. two of an event. My wife uses her banana bread to barter, mm. and it's, mm. it goes mm. for that a high well. premium. Uh, Yui's Lembus bread, same thing. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, you know... You could think of this even do-it-yourself for, say, uh, wood for a fire. That could be you going out and scavenging and finding what you need versus purchase, which is just, you know, going to, at least again up here, the nearest Albertsons, where they probably are selling chunks of wood, you know, fire kits out in front of the store. Of course, charcoal also burns but has a far less pleasant smell yeah and you're not going to get the same kind of like nice flames that you're going to get with some good dry logs now i I think there might be a few grill masters that might disagree with you simply on perspective but yeah I, i i also prefer logs as well it depends on what you need the flames for legitimate yeah so yeah, again, the acquisition of these supplies can be varied, but it's typically going to come down to either purchase or do it yourself. However, this is just when you're at home. Once you're out on active duty, as it were, out in the field, uh, getting those supplies may be a little bit more difficult. The DIY option may not be as effective. So what you have here is forage and or contract. So for foraging, let's say like Thumbs did, you forget 
to bring your water to the event. Well, there were some awfully nice folks there that were able to supply him with water. He was able to successfully forage water at that event. Whereas co contract, he goes down, exchanges a green bill for some water. Contract. And yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's very straightforward on that front. Uh, and it comes down to, you know, food. Because if you've never been to a bell event and you're listening to this, I promise you, you're going to... Shorty, what is it? I'm sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> uh, you, you are either going to not have enough food or have a very simple food necessity that you somehow forgot. Like bread. Like yeah. you, I mean, that's an extreme example, but like you remembered every part of a sandwich, but bread. And sure, you could just eat the meat and cheese together. But you've been thinking about that sandwich for the last 20 minutes of avoiding going to lunch while you're fighting. Mm -hmm. You know, you want that. So knowing who might have bread is uh, very helpful. And again, if, if you have uh, misplaced any of these things, a lot of events these days have a, a kitchen of some sort. You've got uh, Lady Fairy, uh, Sorka, of course. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different folks who are across the, the country who are... Uh, seeing the need and definitely being able to provide it. I know Lady Fairy's food, for instance, reminds me of good hangover food. It's just... Yeah. It's solid. <laughs> it's hearty. It's a, just a little on the greasy side, but not to the disgusting point. It's just... <sighs> it's just and what you want. There's a lot of meat and cheese. There's yeah. the carbs. There's the... Yeah, it is... It is what I am having the next day. Or, like, uh, if I have been... This was one of the wonderful things I found out about Squires was I was uh, heralding all day or I, I was running tourneys and they were like, you look kind of tired. And I was like, I am tired and hungry. Take this money. Go buy us food and just got to send them off to do it. Uh, and man, that was the best. I'm not sure if I've ever ordered my apprentices to go get me food. I usually say go get us food to make it a little better. Ah, inclusive, See? yes. Yes. And then I'm also buying them food, and they're usually like, yeah, that's fair. That's a good exchange. And, yeah, I like and I've done it before, too. I mean, that also calls under a forager contract. For sure. All right. Uh, I will give you the money, and I will spend more money, but you will go get the food. Everybody wins. And I've been on the other side of, you're going to give me money, and I have to go get the food? Yes. A hundred times, yes. <laughs> I get to eat. Deal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you're on active duty, a little bit of creativity is required. However, you can still get her done. Uh, the equipment needs of a camp kind of fall in line with what the supply is, because of course it's kind of there to support what you've got in terms of supply. So, of course, for your consumables, you've got cooking equipment. Of course, you've got your pots, your pans, you know, your, your the things you're going to need to actually cook up what you're going to be doing. And, and then the stove can be a lot of different things. I mean, you can uh, range anywhere from like a, a small little camp stove that you can, that you would take out into on a, a backpacking trip like Thumbs and I have done, or a, a, just a big propane stove. I've seen those too. I'm going to say of the two, and I've seen whole, you know, giant stoves down to tiny backpacking stoves. If you have the choice, these like Coleman propane stoves, they're about the size of a briefcase is my ideal way to go. Oh, they're pretty nice. Because they're big enough that you can, you know, usually do, like, two things. Like, if you can start the bacon, 
while heating up the water for coffee at the same time, life Hey-o. is going to go infinitely easier for yourself. Yeah. And, I mean, if you're feeding more people, you eventually reach a size where you have to go bigger. But if you're just worrying about, like, two or three, that is, for me, the ideal size. For sure. Yeah, hey, for a, a personal size stove, absolutely. Now, I, when I was in Gelf Camp a few years back, their stove was considerably larger, but then again, yeah, they had to feed... Yeah, we not mess around. <laughs> yeah, they had to feed a full camp. Same thing when, when I go out east for Dark Angels events. Uh, when they've got a full kitchen set up, it's a proper kitchen, you know? Or, I mean, even looking at Sarka, they're, they don't have as nice of a big stove, but they've got a whole thing going. Heck yeah. And you do not underestimate that. No. But, of course, to, to make use of the, the supplies being cooked here, you also have to have utensils. And then we generally recommend bowls. Like, if you can have a plate and a bowl, that's cool. But if you have to choose between the two, a bowl is preferable. Because you can put a lot inside a bowl, but you can't put soup on a plate. Yeah, you can't put soup on a plate, you can't put chili on a plate, and there's a good chance someone's going to offer you chili at a Western event, I'll be honest with you right now. Yeah. And also, a plate is generally made for setting it down on a flat surface in front of you, sitting down, and being able to eat that comfortably. There is no guarantee that you are going to have that. You might be sitting on the ground, you might be sitting on a log around the fire, you might be standing. And it's so much easier with the bowl because you can just kind of all lump it all in together. And you have those protective sides. The chances, I mean, even beyond just soup, as we mentioned, uh, the chances of something rolling off of your plate is significantly smaller when it's a bowl. Yeah, that's what I bring to events. I usually don't even bring a plate. I'll just bring a larger bowl. So then, you know, if it is like finger food or something you would normally put on a plate, you can put that in a bowl just as easy. Yeah, it's... uh, it can work as either, while the plate can only work as a plate. And in that same idea, you also want to have some sort of drinking vessel. Uh, and now I know a lot of, they used to require a period drinking vessel at a lot of uh, the foam fighting events that we go to. And I know that like the SCA and that sort of thing, they definitely require a period drinking vessel. But you're going to definitely want something to drink your water or your flavored punch or whatever out of. And so the, the vessel is a good way to do that. Also a good way to show off some style. You know, you got a cool drinking vessel. You look a little fly there. Let me, see, let me just say. The easier you can go with, like, the easier it is to use, the better. Like, I, I, for years, wanted a drinking horn. And to be honest, drinking horns are kind of a pain in the butt. They look cool, but yeah, the, they look the so care good. of them is hard. It's hard to keep them clean, and it's a little hard to, like, get that balance right when taking the drink. Yeah. You're either, like, not getting any of it, or you're getting, like, the whole horn going at you. For true. And there is there is a berry based beverage that is often made at Chaos Wars, and if those berries get lodged in the bottom of that horn, you ain't never getting them out. There's no getting them out. That's just that's just where they live now. <laughs> the the downside of what I'm about to recommend is it's uh, it doesn't have a topper of some kind, and a lid is always preferable. Yeah, it's pretty important because. You're moving around, and especially if you're going like this is you know the one you're taking out to the field with you as well. That's uh, it's going to fall over. So having something that can close is better. But uh, most dollar stores, or a lot of dollar stores, sell like glass steins, and those are cool. They look good. They're not wildly period, but they're close enough that no one's going to say anything to you. They can carry quite a bit, which especially if I'm like, I have been fighting all day. I have not been drinking enough water. I filled that stein 
with water, and I have to drink the whole thing. And you're good to go. Yeah, not necessarily in like one sitting, because then I'm just going to be in the bathroom every four seconds for eternity. You but, turn like... that stein upside down, soldier! <laughs> yeah, no, pass, thank you. But, you know, I drink that stein. Oh, yep, I've had some water now. Honestly, for field stuff, as much as I love a good period vessel, a... Why can't I think of what they're called? The, like a Nalgene-style Yes, bottle. that's the one. Yeah. Honestly, nothing works better than a Nalgene or a off-brand Nalgene. Except for maybe a Camel Pack. I love Camel Packs. Those are good. You have to be so much more careful with keeping them clean. Clean, and then if any... Like, I accidentally stepped on mine, and then there was a lot of water everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so you do have to be careful about that, too. Uh, and the hard part about them is when we say clean, we mean dry. And a camel pack has, like, a hose. Yeah. So when you're done, you need to make sure that hose is relatively dry, too. Which, if you're not careful in taking the actual steps to clean that, it's not gonna... It'll be nasty. Yeah, it, I, and you know how I know this? Because I've done it. Same. We learn from experience, so you can learn from ours. Every piece of advice we give you, everything we tell you not to do is something that we have done at least once, probably twice. Or or witness somebody else do. <laughs> Fair enough. And had a giggle at their expense. I'm just saying, it's been 18 years. If I say something is dumb to do in Belagarth, I am probably speaking from experience. So as we had said about the whole uh, cleaning idea, of course being able to clean all these things is important. So some sort of dish pit, some sort of soap, some sort of place to put said things. Uh, that Those are all good ideas. Some sort of scrubber along those lines once again go to a backpacking store you really can't go wrong rei is my personal favorite because they have it here downside they're sort of expensive but they have good stuff um although they have a lot of sales online most backpacking stuff goes really small you know it, it's made to weigh like a quarter of a pound and, and be super compact at the same and time and take up no room so it doesn't work if you need to fix it for the whole you know, the whole unit. But if it's, again, a couple of people, three or four people, that inflatable dish tub that takes up no room whatsoever will leave you so much more room for weapons and camps and gear and chairs and all of those things that you don't think of, but will still be there when the time comes. Yeah, anybody that, like, obviously bring what you need to bring, but a way that you can bring that stuff and save space at the same time, that's, that's the best, because that means you can bring more stuff. Uh-huh. And I carry so much stuff at this point. Yeah, it seems to pile up as you as you get a little bit older in this. And the same idea, we didn't think about this when we were younger, but napkins. Napkins are a good idea. Um, I'm not a big fan of, like, disposable napkins myself, just because I try and reuse things. But even just a couple of, you know, basic napkins, uh, like reusable ones, a bandana, whatever... Your hands will get stuff on them if you can get the hand, the stuff off of your hands without having to, like, rub it on your shirt. That's preferable. Life is better. Because your shirt will eventually get quite grungy if that's your na napkin for a week. And there is a good chance you are going to wear that shirt more than once. And if not, if you're one of the rare people like me who has a piece of garb for every day of the event, I don't always wear all of it, but I have it, mm -hmm. uh... You're still going to have to camp with that in your tent the whole time. So if it's all chicken greasy, by day four, that chicken grease is getting pretty aromatic. And a lot of times tents get pretty warm by the middle of the day. 
So yeah, learn learn from us. Uh huh. <laughs> the next uh, equipment that you might need in camp is, of course, anything for your personal quarters. One of the big things that I think that especially early folks or folks who are early to their career don't think of is some sort of ground separation. So whether that's an inflatable mattress or a a cot or even just a pad that has like that reflective coating on one side that keeps you warm. Any of that stuff is going to keep you off the ground, which is away from rocks and away from the, the cold, sapping nature of the ground at night. Mm-hmm. Even just a couple of blankets. Yeah, that's always <laughs> nice. And it is... You think it's not much of a difference until you have it. And then you go, oh, this is so much of a difference. Yeah, I think I went to one event and slept on the ground in my sleeping bag and went, that's terrible. And then found another way <laughs> after that. Cause... Yeah, you know, I did it for a while and then I hit about 27, 28. And I went, I don't like this. Like, you know, I, and I would even have just a bad pad and I'd be like, eh, it's fine, whatever. And then wake up and be like, why does my back hurt? There's been a tree root in my lower spine all night. And I didn't know. So another place of a lot of backpacking stuff. If you're trying not to take up too much room, if you can, honestly, a cot is better than a pad. And in theory, an air mattress is better than a cot. But honestly, I prefer the cot. Cots are less likely to go wrong, too. And they've you got, you got space underneath them. Like, we'll get into it in a little bit, but, like, that space underneath cots is extremely useful. Well, and the number of people I know who bring an air mattress are real excited for the air mattress, and then something goes wrong, and halfway through the week, they don't have an air mattress anymore? Or even just it gets cold in the middle of the night, and so that air mattress loses some of its its mass as those air particles kind of condense and suddenly you're sleeping with your booty against the cold ground yeah the uh the chance that you have to deal with that becomes significantly less with a cot yeah and again because i'm apparently just going to mention this every time backpacking cots don't take up a ton of room like i've got a big old cot and i never use it because it's too tall and too big and whatever but you can get ones that take up you know, maybe weigh five pounds total and take up a bag like smaller than some sleeping pads that I've seen. Yeah, where well, you're talking about this, of course, I'm sitting over here with my Cadillac of cots. It's just oh, yeah. large and it's got like pads on both sides and like a little pad underneath your head. Not good enough to be a pillow, but enough to provide a little bit of support underneath the pillow. As someone who has used his shield as a pillow on more than one occasion, yeah, that's pretty nice. And I used to as well as well, but I, I feel it like at this point in my career, I deserve to be treated just a little bit. One of the nicest things that's ever been made for me is when I got knighted, Grizz made me a pillow. and Well, he didn't make the pillow. He bought the pillow, but he made, he knit all around it like a cover for the pillow and he knit the gelf snake into it. Nice. And one, it's just gorgeous. Uh, and it's in my colors and stuff. But two, he was like... You now have an event pillow. This pillow is for events. Use it there. <laughs> um, and it, and it's way easier for me to remember because too many times I forgot the pillow, but I went, oh, do I have my event pillow? And and speaking of pillows, there are other sorts of bedding you want as well. Any sort of those blankets like we mentioned, a sleeping bag, pillows. 
uh, if you're going to do a sleeping bag, a word of caution, if it's one of those ones that has like a slick outside and a slick inside, bring a sheet or something to put on the inside because nine times out of 10, you're going to end up sweetin sweating in the middle of the night and you will stick to your sleeping bag. And it's a little, little narnar. I didn't, I didn't enjoy that sensation. Also, those ones can be super cold at first. Like they get really nice and warm, but it, it uses your body heat to warm up. And until it does, uh, that can be uncomfortably chill. So a, a, a sheet can help kind of put that off and warm you in the interim and, and keep that shock of the cold sleeping bag from hitting you. Again, speaking from personal experience, I always I have like an event sheet that I bring to have inside my sleeping bag. And that's, that's what I have. I almost always recommend, even if you're using a sleeping bag, bring one more blanket than you think you'll need. Yeah. And a good blanket, not just like... You know, I've got plenty of light blankets, but it's way easier to throw a blanket off during the night than it is to stay asleep when you're too cold. Absolutely. And and if you sleep too cold at night, you're going to wake up all stiff and you're going to be much less effective on the field than if you got a nice, comfortable night's sleep. So bedding is important. I think this is probably one of those ones of where we're from is definitely dictating some of our advice. But honestly... Yeah, I mean, even the stories you've told me of Tennessee, I think an extra blanket would be worth it in case of, you know, just an extra layer or in case something gets wet because everything's going to get wet. Having one more blanket than you need could still be super useful. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a and it might get colder than normal. Like occasionally we'll go down to California and it'll say in the weather report that it's not going to get below like 50. And then uncharacteristically, it'll drop to like 40 or maybe mid 30s. And if you came... Uh, only prepared for that 50, um, you chilly. Well, and most of the time when they're like, oh yeah, it should be in the mid-60s for this event, they're talking about during the day. Yeah. And if you're camping near water, which events just like to do, we like to camp near water. It's pretty. Um, which, I mean, I like to do even when I'm not event camping. I just like, you know, I'm in my tent near the lake or whatever. It gets colder at night where the water is. Mm-hmm. The closer you are to the water, too, the colder it gets. So uh, I, I always pack with the idea that I'm going to be too cold because, as I said, it's way easier to shed than it is to add layers you don't have. But extra blankets and all these other things we're talking about need to be organized. I've, I've definitely been in a tent that was all haphazard, just all over the place. And not only is it unsightly, but it's extremely hard to find anything in. Um, so like I was saying before, cots have like a, a hidden benefit to them. And that benefit is you can slide things underneath them. The totes that my wife and I have, for instance, you can pack stuff into them and then you can slide those totes right underneath the cot. So it frees up a whole lot of space inside the tent. Those totes help us get stuff from the house to the car, to the campsite. Cause again, we're not we're not going in 10 miles. We're pulling up the car to the campsite and getting out. So instead of trying to get all this stuff in our arms and throw it into the tent, we've got everything organized into totes and we're ready to go. Uh, again, if you don't have the room for this, a you can get a cheap backpacking backpack for like a hundred bucks, which is a little more expensive than a couple of decent totes, but it takes up like a third the space. So, you know, if you're in the car by yourself or with you and your wife, you can easily fit all of those totes. But if you have to condense room, because we've all done 
the car ride of five people in the car and really quickly asking what you got yourself into. Yep. That backpack fits way more than you think it will. And they're usually uh, set up so you can compartmentalize in the backpack still. They're nice. So any, any form of organization, really. Like, if, if it works for you, it works for you. So if it's a backpack, if it's totes, heck, even just garbage bags. As long as there's some way to keep stuff separate from other things, especially dirty clothes. That's one of the, the must-haves that I have, is I have to have a dirty clothes bag. Because I wear compression shorts underneath my garb. And you don't want those interacting with anything else you own. Let me just put it that way. You get sweaty. (laughs) So yeah, even even just for that, you want organization. And on that note, also dry bags. Remember that uh, we've talked about before, you want to keep your uh, unmentionables, your underwear, your, your socks. I suppose I just mentioned them. Dry. The best way to do that is dry bags. You don't actually need like an official like rafting dry bag. I use Ziplocs. I just put all my underwear and my socks in Ziplocs, and that way if if the tent does get flooded, or if everything else gets wet for some reason, at the very least, we have dry socks and underwear. Um, And another, you know, nice thing is dry bags are not that expensive. Mm -mm. So it really is one of those things that I never thought about until I used it and went, oh my god, I'm going to use these for everything. This is so nice. (laughs) And I mean, you're right, Ziplocs absolutely work, but the dry bags get much better bigger yeah so if you can i definitely recommend going on that front plus they tend to be bright colors which i appreciate really if you want to be redundant you can just get both put your ziplocked stuff in your dry bag and it will be good you could, we could have a great flood and your your socks and underwear will be just fine mm, now you're just talking about what i do when i uh go floating down the river and you take <laughs> stuff with me no doubt my man no doubt <laughs> And on the last note of, of the personal quarters is another thing about staying dry and staying warm is having tarps for to put under your tent and over your tent. Most of the time a rain fly will work for the over the tent, but a lot of people don't think about putting a tarp underneath the tent. And it, it does two things. The first one being it helps keep you separated from the ground. Another thing that keeps you separated from the ground, which is awesome. Uh, it can also help keep things dry. And it can keep animals out, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I went camping with my wife once, and we didn't have one underneath. And a mouse ate through the bottom of my tent and decided to come exploring while we were trying to sleep. Um, I mean, and that's only happened once, not at Belagarth, But still, probably wouldn't have happened if I had had that thing. Uh, a lot of tents will have, you know, if you don't want to just put a tarp underneath, a lot of tents will have, they're called like a footprint or something. Neither one of us can remember what the proper term is. But it is a, uh, it is designed to the shape of your tent so it fits up perfectly and doesn't take up a lot of extra room. Mm-hmm. And it is another one of those things that is just life-changing. Uh, really, the big message here is invest in good camping gear. Yeah. Yeah, your personal quarters should be, uh, again, uh, according to your budget. We understand that not everybody can afford super nice equipment, but really, if you're going to go all out on something, go all out on your camping equipment first, because you can always get more weapons, you can always get more garb, but the camping equipment you get, if it's good, will last you a good long while and will make it so that your events are far less miserable. A bad tent that you spent 50 bucks on will break into events a good tent that you spent 300 bucks on can last you years yep it's expensive to be poor 
but uh, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and also, don't worry with the thought that you have to get all of these things at once, because you probably won't. You can build it up over time, you know. And if you and some friends are starting out, and some of you have some of the stuff, and some of the others you have the other stuff, well, kind of pool it together, and and you can be roommates for a weekend. Yeah. I've definitely done that a few times. My my first priority was always like good stuff to sleep in, making sure that I am staying warm at night. Again, you can tell I live in an alpine desert. <laughs> uh, my second one was a decent tent of my own, and I started with a pretty small one that I had from backpacking, but I have moved on to a... I don't go huge. I know some people that do, like, big four-room tents, and honestly, I hate putting them together. I hate, you know, especially since uh, CC doesn't tend to come with me, I end up alone in that tent a lot. Which just makes you feel even more alone. Yeah, and it's too big. It's, it's just too big for one person. But what they call a three-person tent is just about perfect for one person to live in comfortably for several days. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't necessarily need to be that big in order to work for you, but I would recommend having something that you can at least stand most of the way up in Otherwise, changing gets rather difficult. And how far you want to go? I mean, I know people that do that go full, full out, and there's some really impressive stuff, and I love it. Um, but I'm at the three persons tent stage. I can dig that. So we got your personal quarters ironed out. All that's good. But what about what's living inside the beast that emerges from the field and stinks of sweat and? Exaltation. Mm-hmm. Well, this beast needs <laughs> hygiene. <laughs> Sweat and exaltation. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. We're good. I'm I, have a, I have a very <laughs> special relationship with the field, if you can't already tell. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about general hygiene. Not too much, but of course, this stuff is important too. Tooth care. You want to make sure that you got a toothbrush, maybe some floss, and some toothpaste. Very important. An absolute minimum. And you know, this happens. Uh, mouthwash. Yep, mouthwash is pretty good, too. Mouthwash with fluoride, because there's times when you're just like, God, I just, for whatever reason, I don't have it in me to brush my teeth right now. And life will be better if you ignore that impulse and brush brush your your teeth teeth anyways. But worst case scenario, just get some mouthwash. Just, you'll be fine. So taking care of the teeth is good. Going all the way down, foot care, not something most people think about. But foot care is tend to talk about this. Yeah. You will be sweating in the shoes, and you will give yourself trench foot if you are not careful, or athlete's foot, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, if you somehow don't know what that is, that's when you get some fungus between your toes, and it kind of hurts, and it eats up some of your skin, and it's, it's gross. It's terrible, yeah. It's gross, and it smells bad. Uh, it is something that I have had to deal with most of my life on not like super extreme things, but just I'm super susceptible to it. So bring athlete's foot spray, whatever, you know, Dr. Scholl's or whatever it's called. I don't remember. Baking powder works too. Baking powder works very well. In a pinch, toothpaste will work, but it does dry your foot out. So it there are other problems. And even if you're not susceptible to it, like Thumb said, he's been kind of dealing with it his whole life. I had never had athlete's foot before I went to this event in Tennessee and there had been a a great deal of rain the first night and my shoes got wet. Now, normally here in the Alpine desert, as Thumbs pointed out, that we live in, if your shoes get wet, you leave them out in the air for the night 
and when you wake up, those shoes are dry, and you can wear them again. Yeah, they might be a little damp, but they're largely they're good, good to at go. That point. Those shoes, my shoes, did not dry out for the four days I was at that event, and I got home. And I noticed exactly what Thumbs is talking about, that very uncomfortable sensation between my toes. And I had no idea what was going on. And somebody was like, oh, that's athlete's foot. You just need to do X, Y, and Z and you can treat it. And I was like, well, I'd never had this before. And I thought about it and I was like, oh yeah, my, my feet were soaked mm-hmm. for like four days straight. So yeah, even if you've never had it before, it is still absolutely a thing that you can definitely get. So be aware. I'm going to give one warning right here. Most sprays that you buy for this stuff will have some advertisement like cools the burning that advertisement is lying to you <laughs> it will make it better it's like the it's like the the shampoo that's like tear free it's like yeah exactly uh, uh it will make it feel better but it's gonna burn first not a big deal it's very manageable you will look a little goofy when you're like ah, ooh, ah, ah, ah. hot potatoes <laughs> exactly Kind of a gross thing to talk about, but it's also a, it's a more gross thing to have. So, Prepare. if you can avoid it, do it. Yep. And also on the, on the note of keeping funguses and stuff off of you, washing in general is fantastic. I know a lot of event sites try to have a shower or something along those lines on site, and that is outstanding. If you can use a shower, please do. Your your fellow campers will appreciate it. But there have been some event sites that we've been to where there isn't a bathhouse nearby. What do you do then? You don't want to end up stinking by the end of it. You can bring baby wipes. This is one of the big hacks that I learned, or that we learned when we were in the MCC, is baby wipes, uh, can they won't make you clean clean. Like, it doesn't take the, the place of a shower or of a nice dip in the crick, but it will make you better than you were before. And, I mean, we've talked about it. You have, at this point, at the end of the day, you have the dirt on you. You have all of that sweat and all the salt that dried on you while you were sweating. And you have the sunscreen we were talking about. And you have the bug spray. And you just know that bug spray just feels grimy. Mm -hmm. And just, I mean, even a napkin in water if you have to. Or baby wipes if you've got them. Just something to just rinse some of that off. You know keep it from accumulating more than you have to. Because no you will you become to. a mud cake. Oh, that's so gross. Because, like, you'll, get, you'll sweat, and then that sweat will develop a layer of grime on top of it from, like, dust and stuff, and then you'll sweat again, and all that mud stuff will mix together, and, like, you'll just eventually get these layers, and, and, and you're a grime cake. You don't want to be, you know, that's a bad kind of cake to be. <laughs> grime cake, ew. Oh, gross. Um... You know, and we are definitely talking up probably more than anything else hygiene this episode. And that's because, I mean, it's early 2021 at this point, honestly. Like, hygiene and staying healthy is stuff we've been thinking about much more than much more than we usually do throughout history. But There's a bit of a plague on right yes, now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm really curious to see how how much stronger people are about hygiene when events finally start up again. I'm hoping it'll be way higher than it ever was before. I know I'm going to be paying more attention to it than I ever was before. And we can definitely look after ourselves, too. Even if an event itself isn't necessarily providing the means to practice good hygiene, you can. For instance, sanitization, or sanitation, excuse me, uh, (laughs) that that is something that you can do, even without, like, hand-washing stations, which they absolutely should still provide at events. Uh, But if you've got some... 
even just some of that uh, alcohol, the, the, like the hand sanitizer, that can go a long way. Because you don't want to be touching everything on God's green earth and then touching your food. That's nasty. Yeah. Ugh, that's, it gets real bad. So some way to sanitize yourself is, is also very important. And I know this last one, I know that we have Ooh, this issue. Real quick, on, on sanitation, before sorry. one last thing I just thought of. No, you're fine. I just literally thought of this when you're switching. Toilet paper. TP. Bring your own roll of toilet paper. Because they will probably have toilet paper in the porta potty or the restroom or the whatever you're using. But probably man, don't want to be there the one time you were wrong because there are 400 people at this event and they just ran out. Like, and it's the middle of the night, so they didn't get any chance to restock. But you gotta and go. It, and if you don't need it, that's fine. But if you do need it, that's not fine. So yeah, just bringing along a, an extra roll is not a bad thing at all. But sorry, I interrupted you there. Please go ahead. So the last thing that we have on, uh, under this general hygiene is an issue that we have on both coasts. But I, we want to talk about it more because I know there are folks who talk about it, but you know, reiterating it is not a bad thing. Ticks. Ticks are a bad thing. We got them on the West Coast. They got them on the East Coast. Uh, and they got them all over the world. Even those of you who are listening from, from other countries besides the, the U.S., you probably have ticks in your country too. And these little buggers can do a number on you. Not only are they nasty, but they often carry diseases like Lyme's disease or Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which can really do a number on you. So doing a personal tick check, making sure to check your crevasses, your armpits, the back of your knees, elsewhere. Um, it's very important to make sure that you're not carrying one of these buggers on you. Your hair, anywhere there's hair, you gotta check for ticks. If you've got a significant other, you can absolutely have them help you because they're gonna yeah. see things that you don't. And even if you don't have a significant other, get them to help on stuff like the back of the neck. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the socially acceptable places to get people to uh, check you out. The head um, hair. Yeah, exactly. I have a friend that had Lyme disease, and I mean, if you don't catch it soon enough, it doesn't really go away. Mm -mm. So that is something you really don't want to deal with because, you know, and I've done it before, been like, God, I'm tired. I'm just not going to do a tick check tonight. And I'm so lucky that that's never backfired on me. Yeah, no, they're, they're bad news. I'm surprised I'd never got one. We had a, a, a hitch one place where literally there were places where if you stepped down on the ground, the ground boiled with ticks. Like it Ooh. was, there were oh, just so many. And this was the same mountain where there was just like, the air was thick with wasps and there were spiders everywhere. I refer to this mountain as Hell Mountain because, and then of course we were, we were trying to pound defense posts into solid rock. Oh, that was a terrible hitch. Um, I've never had a, a tick that has bitten me before but I've definitely found them before they got a chance to bite me before so lucky <laughs> so long long story short do tick checks please do yeah, do tick <laughs> checks it's, it, five minutes work max so the last kind of equipment that you're going to need in a camp is going to be anything for the communal space because obviously we're not just living by ourselves in our tents often we are, have uh, some sort of communal setup, whether it be a, a unit, a realm, or even just you guys are near the same campfire, there's going to be stuff that everybody's sharing. So one of the things that you're going to have is entertainment, items for entertainment. Uh, this can be like musical instruments, hand drums, didgeridoos, stuff like that. He just, the entire time we were trying to think of stuff before this episode, 
everything he thought of here was instruments. So we see where Malark's mind goes. I like music. Uh, <laughs> I like music at events. What can I say? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also going to want stuff like recreation, which could be uh, washers. Like if you, you know, Gelf play washers a lot. Uh, Magic the Gathering, if you want to risk destroying your friendships like that. Um, <laughs> not, I don't have opinions. What are you talking about? Oh, and there's a <laughs> lot of little... You can also bring, like, D&D. Um, there's, there's a lot of little games you can play to kind of pass the time between fighting, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarka's Kitchen always has a ton of board games. And, you know, I don't always spend a ton of time there, but I always go stop by, if nothing else, to see what mad board games people are getting up to at any given time. Yeah, it's, it's nice, especially like just to have the option, no doubt. Uh, relaxation is another thing that is often communal. I have seen uh, places where you just have a bunch of pillows piled. It's like a little, like a lounging area. Those are pretty cool. I know you guys usually have one in Gelf Camp. Yeah, we have the official Gelf and Nap Tent, which is uh, some pillows that have all been marked with the Gelf and symbol and a... Um, it's just like a shade tent. It's not a full-size tent, but just, you know, like a little overhang wall kind of thing that you can just lie down in if you need to lie down at any point and there's usually at least one person in it at any given time i swear by it it's wonderful and even if you're not the most social person even if that kind of idea would make you uncomfortable you know picking out a good spot by the river where you can go and and collect your thoughts or a patch of the field where you can go lay down and get some sun you know these are all places to gain uh, relaxation as well so don't don't think that it necessarily has to be something in camp but it's nice to have something like this this gelf and nap tent to be able to go to i will say every single thing you have here that we have for community we, you should also have for the personal oh yeah i am a big supporter of we've talked about don't bring a ton of books but I usually bring, like, a book. Because I know that at some point over the week, I am going to get peopled out. You know, and these are my favorite people in the world in a lot of cases. But, you know, I know I will be peopled out. So instead of stressing about the fact of, oh, no, I'm getting peopled out. Oh, this is terrible. Going, I recognize these signs. I'm going to go find myself my own entertainment and relaxation. And, like, have some me space, too. So, yeah, having having communal relaxation is good. But you should also have the personal relaxation as well. No doubt. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, much like anywhere else, you want to have some form of organization in a communal cell- space. Not everything tossed about willy-nilly. You know, group trash cans, great idea. You want to keep your camp clean. Let me say that again. You want to keep your cl- camp clean. This is definitely one that if you're going on a unit size, that totes. You want totes. I, I don't know if we've stressed that enough this uh, episode, <laughs> but we, I, I got, I'm a huge fan of totes. My wife has converted me, and I am a fan of the totes. I am the least qualified person to be talking about organization, and if my poor squires are listening to this, they're just tearing their hair out right now. But uh, I, I, I am getting better. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get some totes. Huh? Totes. Totes for the totes. I uh, see. I can't take it that far. That's uh, I can't do that. <laughs> I know. It drives you up a wall. That's why I did it. Uh... So all this equipment has to come from somewhere. you got to requisition this equipment. And it can come from two places for the most part. You can either buy it from a store... Or you can make it yourself. And, and the things like, uh, you know, a bowl or, or even some bedding, you can definitely make yourself and do a, a pretty decent job. Uh, toothpaste, probably from a store. Yeah, I know how to make toothpaste myself. Like, I've looked it up before, but it's it doesn't taste good. It won't taste good, no. <laughs> um, so again, there's some things that you'll be able to make, some things you can get from a store. It depends on your skill level. 
And then the, the next big thing is getting that equipment to where you want to go, shipping that equipment. I mean, if it's in your town, no big deal. You can take a couple of trips, whatevs. But if it's a state away, several hours away, heck, half a country away, then you got to start thinking about these considerations. So, for instance, if you're going in a car, for when, but when my wife and I travel, we don't really have to worry about space considerations. She's got a big old Subaru. We can take mm -hmm. just about anything we want in our totes, and we're going to be just fine. You start putting another person in that car, another two people in that car. That changes uh, rapidly. Yeah, you gotta you got to consider a lot more space that way, yeah. Uh, and you know, my, my big truck can fit a whole lot of stuff, but it can't fit a whole lot of people. So I got to consider that. But if we're going farther, you know, if you're one of the people that's taking a plane to an event, which I'm sure will someday happen to me when I go out East or it's next awesome. time I go to battle for the ring. Yeah, it's great. But I can't pack the 400 pounds of stuff that I am packing in the back of my truck at this point. So I've got to make sure that someone's bringing it. Or I've got to make sure that, you know, I can ship it there. Like, I, I know people who mail their weapons to an event or to someone who will be at that event. It, it saves you having to get them on a plane. Like, a, a, lot of, a lot of planes will let you take a little bit of equipment on there, but it's always kind of awkward. And, and for me, for instance, I'm always worried about my weapons getting destroyed. Yeah. Like when I flew across country, I packed two of my swords in my, my bags. And by the time I got to the other side of the country, those swords were ruined. Well, and if you want to take it to the full bad extent, I remember reading articles about... There was a guy in New York City who was... Uh, this was probably 10, 15 years ago now. Who was going just on the subway to his... Uh, to where he was going to fight. And a cop you know, didn't, like, was like, what, what are those arrow things? And the arrows got cut open, you know, and, like, airlines do not mess around on that front, so you want to be real careful that your weapon does not look like, well, a weapon. A weapon, yeah. <laughs> and nor should they, you know, like, they're, they're taking everybody's safety into account, and so, yeah, we got to make sure that we're not we're not trying to threaten other passengers or anything like that. So these are all considerations. If you're planning on going a long distance for certain, there's a lot of planning that needs to be done around that in order to make sure that you got gear over there. I just keep a stash on the other side of the country. I've got a, a, a unit mate over there who has like a shield and a cot and a tent that I bought while I was out there. And I said, hey, would you mind hanging on to this for me? And he said, hey, no problem. And so I've, I've got my little stash over there. Well, and if you're someone like me, who's a primarily a polearm user, transportation becomes all the more difficult. All the more difficult. Oh, yeah. Let's say eight-foot pole is much harder than a 30-inch sword. You might think to yourself, well, you can just put it on the top of a car. Well, here comes a squall, and now you got a soggy spear. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm going on a plane. Your spear isn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it's not going on a plane. So that's equipment. Uh, how, to, how to get it, what it is, and how to get it to places what you need it to be. So the last thing with all of this, before we move on to our next section, is just talking about proper conduct. Talking about proper conduct within camp when dealing with basically general supplies. Because it's different. You know, if you've got your own stuff, your own chair, your own cot, whatever, if you break it, it's yours. So it's not that big of a deal. But if you're dealing with camp equipment or camp supplies, you have to be a lot more mindful of the other people who are going to be using it. For instance, 
if you've got dirty hands and you're reaching into that bag of chips, if it's your bag of chips and you're the only one reaching into them, who cares? You know, you can shovel your dirty hands in your mouth all you want. But if you reach into that bag, of, that bag of chips with your dirty hands and I see it, that means I'm not going to be going after that bag of chips. So if it's a communal bag of chips, like you've just, you've just transferred that grime to everybody. So it's, you know, there's a lot, a little bit more consideration uh, taken into effect when you're dealing with anything that's being used by everybody. Roommate rules apply. Yeah. You know, if you're not going to do it to the person you share a living room with, don't do it to the person you're sharing a fire with, if you can help it. No doubt. No doubt. And then the, the care and maintenance of those supplies and equipment are also just as important. Like we had said, storing them at the event is a, a trial into itself. But when you get back from said event, there's aftercare. You can't just come back and be like, I am done. Because your tent, if there was any moisture, any moisture whatsoever at all during that event, you're going to want to roll your tent out and dry that puppy out. Because it's mm -hmm. going to get mildew otherwise. It will. And again, I've done this. <laughs> garb as well you don't want your garb i i literally had a time of i got back from battle for the ring and i threw my bag in the corner and didn't get around to it and then march rolled around and it was time to go to practice and i opened it up and i went oh no oh this still smells like the event that i had three months ago it can stand on its own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's, uh... I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Bedknobs and Broomsticks, but there's a point where the armor comes to li alive and starts fighting Nazis, and that's basically where my garb was at that point. Fair enough, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's aftercare that goes into the garb, too. And then there's a little bit of hygiene. I know it may be tempting. You know, you get done with a nice long event, you've driven home however many hours you've taken to get home, you get back, you are exhausted, and the first thing you want to do is just plop down in that bed. Uh, you will appreciate it if you take a shower first. Just just wash all that off and climb into bed nice and clean. You will appreciate it when you sleep, you will appreciate it when you wake up, and honestly, the feeling when you are in that shower is one of the best feelings there is. One of the treats I like to leave for myself is I have a habit of changing all my bedding before I go to an event. That way, when I get back and I've taken that shower and I crawl into bed, it is just Fresh pure and clean. clean. And yeah. ooh, ooh, that is, uh, that's some decadence right there, my man. That's right. That's right. Only the best. Only the best. <laughs> so, all good stuff. you got to think about it afterwards, too. Any unauthorized modifications? Now, within the Imperial Guard, unauthorized modifications to your equipment or to supplies will get you shot. It'll get you shot. Or flogged, if the Commissar is feeling lenient. For us, it's just rude. Again, if you've got something that's yours and you want to modify it a little bit, go for it. But if there's something that is group equipment that you're thinking about modifying, make sure that you check with the owner and with the group in total to make sure that the modifications you're going to do aren't going to mess with somebody else's plans. Mm -hmm. And I have seen people do this many times without even thinking about it or without even meaning to. Just, you know, they get caught up in whatever they're doing, tweak whatever they're using... And then afterwards, they're like, oh, whoops, well, it's fine. It might not be fine. And that's why we bring it up. It's, it's not something a lot of people think about. It's a mistake that it's pretty easy to make. So just kind of keep it in your head. Uh, if, if nothing else, then the listeners of this show will hopefully have the consideration to not unauthorize modify equipment. Ooh, that was English, I swear. 
Yeah, I believe you. Um, last thing, and it wasn't really on our notes, but I wanted to mention it here, because this book has the like list of do's and don'ts and the punishments if you do the thing. And do not listen to any of the punishments. As we have said, and I'll say again just to be safe, don't flog anyone. I mean, it's don't, an entertaining prospect. Don't murder but... anyone. Like, maybe some consensual flogging, but that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> Having rules for behavior as well, and behavior that you would never think you would need. Have rules for what to do if someone in your unit turns out to be a bigot. Or, or flies against uh, your community standards in some way. I know In that... whatever way, shape, or form. Yeah. And you might go, well, I'm never going to need that. But you don't need it until you do. And we all have met someone who was great. Who were legitimately great. Until you found out the thing about them that's not great. And, God, my buddy, Suroroku, is just going to be over the moon hearing me say this. You know, prior preparation. If you have it down, what is to be done with people when they do a specific not great thing or... You know, you don't want it too specific, but you, know, you have done this not great thing. Here's what happens. Then you're not going to have to make it up on the fly, and you're going. It's just going to make life easier for you and for everyone involved. Having some nice expected protocol is very Imperial Guard. I am increasingly in favor of if you are in a group, that group better have a code of conduct, and it better be understood. Yeah. Yeah, in whatever way that group, like, it, it conveys that information. Writing is usually the best way, but for smaller groups, it can often be something that you take minutes. Um, even just, like, you can put on a little recorder while you're doing stuff and just have some sort of record. It's a good idea. It's absolutely Anything where you idea. can set a precedent with it. Like, nope, we have already dealt with this. And that all falls under proper conduct. Absolutely. And that's my bummer way of ending this section. <laughs> Well, we're going to get into something a little bit more exciting when we get into our next section, Requisitions for the Field. Your Requisitions for the Field are going to be very similar for your Requisitions for Camp, but a bit more targeted for the brief time that you're going to be deployed. Now, the, what we do in physical wargaming often is far less strenuous than what they had to do in this book as Imperial Guardsmen. So, we're going to kind of go over what both of them require for the various things. Um, obviously, with ours being a little bit less intensive. Much less intensive. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading some of these and going, good, good lord, man. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they've got it all. But again, if you were a regular trooper, regular soldier, a lot of this stuff would be in your kit. So, without further ado... Let's get into it. So within physical wargaming, there are several things that you need as personal equipment as a frontline trooper. We're going to use that term because that's what they use in the book, and I'm, I rather like that. So the personal equipment for a frontline trooper, when it comes to uh, physical wargaming, you're going to want water, obviously. We've done the water thing to death this episode and in many mm -hmm. episodes before, but that's because it is important. It's so important. You're going to want sunscreen because sunscreen is just all around good. Uh, if you're blessed with having um, a darker skin tone, you still need a little bit of sunscreen. Folks can still get melanoma, even even if they have darker skin tones. So uh, sunscreen is a good idea for everybody. Some sort of repair kit is also important. Like This isn't necessarily required for when you go to the field, but things break. 
arrows come apart, tips blow out, pommels come off. A scrap of blue foam, some yep. duct tape, and some cloth tape. I can fix almost anything with those three things. It doesn't got to be pretty. <laughs> it's just got to be legal. So a nice little repair kit, either personally or within like your unit or something, is a good idea. Some source of shade. You don't necessarily need to bring it if you're in a highly forested area, but Thumbs and I have been to some fields where there's not a tree in sight. And in that case, you definitely want some sort of canopy or, or something that you can lounge under and just get that hot, hot sun off of you. Because your tent is deceptive. Your tent will not do it. No, your tent will get hotter as the day goes on because it's keeping a lot of that heat. Um, this can also be much smaller scale as well. You know, some sort of shade stuff. Sunglasses are good. A big floppy hat can be good. Big um, umbrella. I knew, yeah, I knew for a while people were going to, you know, like the dollar store or the import market here and finding, you know, uh, paper umbrellas for like a dollar and they had, you know, or just a few bucks and they have some pretty painted design on them and you can wander around and keep yourself a little bit of extra shade and look and feel fancy. Uh, highly recommend it. Absolutely. So yeah, a shade source, something to separate that sun from you uh, is outstanding. In terms of garb or your uniform, in quotation marks, make it movable. Uh, I, we've talked about this before, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways to make garb very pretty, and there's a lot of ways to make it very movable. So you want to find that nice, that nice gray area in your Venn diagram where those two things interlap. But if you're going to err one side or the other, I would say err toward the movable garb because you do not want to biff it on the field. You can definitely get injured if you unexpectedly biff it out there. Yeah. Uh, if you are going to be going, you know, if you're just around camp, whatever, go with whatever works for you. But if you're out on the field, it's kind of like how I hate fighting in jeans. I've done it, but I hate it. If I'm going to, you know, and the reason why is because I find them super restricting. They're heavy. They get caught on stuff. I can't, I can't move as much as I can, you know, when not in jeans. So if I have garb that does that same thing, I've defeated the point of not wearing jeans. Exactly. You do not want them to bind the legs. In fact, one of the first things I often do when I get... Uh, a new pair of garb pants just to make squat. sure it, yep do a nice deep squat uh, come up and do like the big knee circles to make sure that you got like full range of motion and when you're down there squatting uh, don't don't go uh, uh, conservative on it you go back to, from side to side nice wide leg squat nice close leg squat make sure that every angle that you could possibly move in that garb is non-restrictive and won't catch on itself too i've had very baggy garb that wasn't restrictive but i tripped over it every five seconds yeah, I mean, if you can do the splits, just do the splits. Like, yeah. this is how extreme we want you to take that. Uh, do some jump kicks. Do stuff that you would never do on the field and makes you look super goofy and like a Jack Black moment because you will pay when, and again, talking from experience here, your pants explode all the way up the middle <laughs> seam and you're in the middle of a fight and your boxers are hanging out. We've all been there. <laughs> So yeah, movable garb, very important. Uh, another thing, and I know some people are kind of against both of these, and I don't know why, because I like my joints. Gloves and knee pads. Oof. Always gloves and knee pads. Well, I say always gloves and knee pads. I don't always wear my knee pads. I should always wear my knee pads. I've gotten better about it. Uh, especially if you're going to be indoors. Indoors, always knee pads. Oh, yeah. And gloves, we... 
I have this conversation with almost every new person where I'm like, you need to get gloves. And they're like, eh, whatever, I don't really need it. It's fine, my hands don't hurt. You need to get gloves. Uh, okay, fine, whatever, someday I'll get gloves. You need to get... And eventually, I just buy them gloves a lot of times. I have bought so many people gloves. and they'll, Because if not, they wait like a year and a half. And they go, oh my god, I just got gloves. Oh, I feel so much better. I didn't even know I was hurting until I wasn't anymore. Oh, I was dumb about it. I had to break like two or three knuckles before I decided to get gloves. I was stubborn. Mm -hmm. And personally... Full finger gloves. I know some people love MMA gloves. I used them for years. I'm not a fan anymore because I sprained my ri or my thumb several times doing that. Lacrosse. Lacrosse is where it's at. Lacrosse gloves. Uh, I have something that's similar to lacrosse but isn't quite it, and I shouldn't have mentioned it because I can't think of what it's called. <laughs> there, there are all sorts of good full gloves. You want it to protect the back of the fingers. And you want to make sure that it is a kind of protection that is for taking impact and not just scrapes. Yep. I'm sure we've told the story before, but the reason Turkey broke his hand was he was using my old motorcycle gloves, which is better than not having gloves, 100%. But motorcycle gloves are largely designed to protect you for when your hand hits the asphalt and you scrape along it. To prevent road rash. Yes, and oh my god, that's so useful. I will never talk that stuff down. But it is the right equipment for the right job. And when he accidentally punch-blocked a red, because he saw a thing coming at him and he put up his hand, that wasn't a scrape, that wasn't road rash, that was Nash. Yep. <laughs> and a lumberjack swing and a big pole at you is going to roll completely differently. And uh, his hand definitely rolled completely differently Ooh, for a little while after that. I see what you did there. Badunks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, gloves, knee pads, outstanding. And then the last thing on this, uh, on this part of the list for physical wargaming is armor is a good idea. I know a lot of folks don't necessarily like to use it, but I really enjoy my armor and at the very least a helmet. I know we've mm -hmm. talked about that before, but helmets are really important. As I've talked about getting, you know my front tooth fixed after my fake one popped off and my dentist was like, yeah, we can get it fixed. Just don't get punched in the face if you can help it. <laughs> and I was like, well, guess I'm fighting with a helm for the rest of my career. Yeah. I, I just decided that I, I don't like getting punched in the nose or hitting the nose. Like a, even just a helm in front of there takes away that shock so much. Mm -hmm. But when I, when I get hit in the nose, that's the quickest way to just tick me off. Like I, my blood gets hot once I get hit in the nose. So it hurts the more. I can protect it. The better, the more cool I'll be. Well, and you and I don't have exactly tiny schnozzes either, so... No, I'm Slavic and you're Norwegian, so... Yeah. So, real quick, I'm going to run through what the personal equipment for a frontline troop looks like uh, for a guardsman. I'll just kind of explain this real quick as we go through. And if, you've, if you're from the military, all this is going to sound really familiar to you. Rations, just like it sounds, some sort of storable dry ration that you can cook up at a moment's notice cooking stuff so that if you do get dry goods of some sort that you can cook with you're able to magnoculars which are like binoculars but for 40k but for fancy a micro vox bead because like a big vox caster is clunky and you have to go around with it a micro vox bead means you can talk to individual squad mates through an ear bead and it's much more squad efficient if your uh, regiment is uh, rich enough to afford those uh helmet we stressed on it before. You can stress on it here. Helmets are important. When I'm putting my armies together for 40K, they all have helmets. 
I track down heads that have helmets because I do not understand why anybody would take to the field without a helmet. <laughs> it really bugs me when I see space marines without helmets. It just... Mm. I mean, the space wolves, you know, they can kind of get away with it because their senses are heightened or whatever. But the rest orcs, of them... Yeah. sure, but... Yeah, orcs just have reckless abandon. <laughs> the next item that a guardsman is going to want is a rebreather. Not all atmospheres are going to be conducive to human life. You might have an acidic atmosphere, a toxic atmosphere, some sort of nuclear stuff going on that you don't want to breathe. Rebreather has you covered. Boots and socks. We talked about it before. Uh, with the other stuff, but of course it's still important here that you want boots and socks and boots and socks and boots and socks and boots and socks. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> We're showing yeah, you want those here. boots and socks. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a mad beatboxer. Yeah. Targeters. Uh, any sort of targeting device that can help you find ranges and that sort of thing. Targeters are great. A uniform, obviously, that's going to be different from regiment to regiment, but a uniform is expected. Webbing uh, can be for a couple of different things. You can use it to put over your sleeping space to keep out critters and bugs and that sort of thing, but you can also use it to tie around yourself to keep some of this gear together without sloshing all over the place. Uh, we used to use this all the time between our battle vests and then just pure webbing, being able to secure your stuff on your person so it was accessible, pretty important. Weapon cleaning kit, you definitely need that. Remember we talked about before that if your gun jumps, jams in battle, that is flogging. So you definitely want that weapon to be clean. Also, you're probably going to die. You're probably going to die, yeah. So have a clean weapon. Medipack, that keeps people from dying. Pretty self-explanatory. Demo charges, when you have to blow something up. You never know when you're going to have to blow something up. Armor. Words like to live we, by. What's that? I said words to live by. Yeah, yeah. Armor protects you, much like we said before. Surveyor gear, to be able to know, like, be able to check out where you are and get that information back to HQ. Sleeping equipment, like we said before, you want it. Hygiene kit, don't gross out your uh, squad mates. Orientation gear, and this, no, this isn't what you get freshman year at college. Orientation gear is a map and a compass, preferably a topographical map. This was one of my, I'm going to go on a small tangent here. One of my favorite things about being in the army was going and doing field training because that meant we got to go do navigation with topographical maps and compasses. And that was like my favorite part of our training, just to go, go hiking in the woods. Uh, and I loved it. Like usually the people that I was with, like normally we had to have like one person that had like the locations we were supposed to go to. One person was supposed to have the compass and one person was supposed to be like counting steps and looking at the map and that sort of thing. I ended up doing two of those three jobs because I wanted to. And you are so consistent. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so orientation gear, very important. Will help you find yourself out of a sticky situation. So will entrenching tools, but they'll get you down out of the way of, of harm. Uh, being able to dig a foxhole or a, a small trench quickly is often the matter of life or death when you've got artillery coming down around you. So entrenching tools, important. And then finally, the anti-contaminants. Much like we had said before, you want to drink clean water. So anti-contaminants, whatever form that might come in, whether it's tablets or some sort of filter, definitely something you want, especially on a hostile planet. For personal weapons of the frontline trooper, which is going to be our next thing, uh, for Belagarth, it's, you know, really straightforward stuff. It's what you're going to do if you are in the main line for the most part. You're going to have your sword. You're going to have your maces. You're going to have your bats. And it's any kind of, like, basic blue weapon here. Axes, if you're a weirdo. Hammers, if you're another weirdo like me. Blue being a weapon that is under 42 inches. Yeah, uh, 48 inches. 
48 inches, thank you. But uh, yeah, a weapon under 48 inches long. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry, it's not just a color. Uh, you are also going to have your shield there, which by our rules, like how you know we write out of rules, is not a weapon. But they are absolutely a weapon and an offensive thing on the field as well as a defensive thing. I was going to say, tell that to my war master when he shield edges you to the ground by chest. <laughs> yeah, we got taught how to fight by the same guy, dude. I, uh... <laughs> Shield bash. Tell me it's not a weapon. <laughs> no big V. I will not be doing that today. Thank you very much. And then smaller two-handed swords also fall into this category because you have to get so up close and personal with your opponent. Uh, claymores, bastard swords, all would fall kind of under this, this frontline weapon as well. The kind of uh, four foot to six foot sword range. Yeah, yeah exactly. So those, that's what you would do for a, a, any sort of medieval uh, wargaming. For what the guardsmen can carry, they've got their trusty las guns. Sometimes they're made in different ways with different orientations and uh, decorations on them, but the las gun of the Imperium is the las gun of the Imperium, the most mass-produced weapon and the, the weapon of most guardsmen. They are the angry flashlight of doom. Yep, it's pew-pew. Um, uh, basically like any other laser gun you've ever seen in any other game, but called a las gun. A long las is like a las gun, except that it goes longer. Pretty self-explanatory. Power packs. You need a place to charge this because these things, these las weapons, both rely on basically batteries that go into them. Those batteries obviously need to have charge in them. Otherwise you're out of ammo. So power packs in order to charge your batteries, great idea. Las pistol, much like a las gun, but in pistol form. Shotgun. I'm pretty sure you all know what a shotgun is. And if you haven't, I would say to check out Carrie Underwood. <laughs> uh, the next one would be a ripper gun. These are used exclusively by Ogren, but it's it basically a big, fully automatic weapon that shoots out massive shells. Like, it, they, are, they are nasty, and they could only be wielded by these massive abhumans called Ogren. A Rough Rider Lance is a lance that is used from the back of a motorcycle. I thought you would appreciate this, Thumbs. Or, or horses. I was reading about this, and I was like, this is the coolest thing in this book so far. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so it's a lance, what can be used off of a motorcycle, which is pretty sweet. Uh, hell guns and Hell Pistols. Bolt guns and bolt pistols are both also pretty cool as well, because a bolt weapon fires a... A, a large bullet, it looks like a bullet, but it's got a secondary firing mechanism and an explosive tip that effectively turns it into a very small missile. So it's a missile machine gun. Yes. So a, like a bolt gun has like different settings, of course. It could have a fully automatic setting or a semi-automatic setting. And then the bolt pistol is just a handheld missile cannon. So uh, they're both pretty awesome. Grenades, y'all pretty much know what grenades are, or at least I assume you do. And then a, either a dagger or a bayonet. Some... Close-range, stabby implement. Um, we didn't mention this on the Bellagarth one, but it will also, not the bayonet part, but qualify there. We do have daggers, them being like sta uh, stab-only weapons or very short weapons, the kind of backup weapon. For, a, for especially a lot of like polearm users, yeah, mm -hmm. a dagger makes for a good backup weapon. But speaking of polearms, next we're talking about support weapons for the frontline trooper. Yeah, uh, this is going to be anything that you are not just upfront and personal with. So it's going to be your projectiles, like your javelins, your rocks, your archery, you know, obviously. Pole arms, so a spear, a red over six feet when you're going kind of into glaive territory. Anything where you are not 
as I said, upfront and personal. If you are standing behind the shield while using it, it's probably the support weapon. Yep. Uh, of course, archery is one of my favorite ones here. It's basically the artillery of our battlefields, you know, which is to say that fighters win fights and uh, pole arms win <laughs> battles. Archers win wars. Of course, you're going to give yourself the highest praise there. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm I'm not an archer yet. I'm going to be one, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, of course, all these things can be because they're support weapons. They can be, mean victory or defeat for your primary weapons in the front. And much the same with your guardsmen. These support weapons may not be able to stand alone on their own, but they contribute to the victory that's happening in the very front line. So the first of these is the mortar. Again, if you've ever studied military history, you're going to know what the mortar is. It's a shell dropped down into a tube. The, the, uh, basically, the charger detonates and fires it up into the air at a trajectory, and it comes down and explodes. Yeah, mortars are very effective at hitting the guys over there. Auto cannons, uh, think of like a 50 cal machine gun, you know, uh, big, very shooty, uh, it can put some holes in things. Yeah, uh, very nasty. Heavy bolter, remember how we were talking about that bolter technology, that those little mini missiles that launch out? Yeah, heavy bolter. Yeah. Those are bigger mini missiles. Bigger, faster firing mini missiles. Yeah, so that one's fun. Heavy stubber is like a smaller version of a machine gun. If the autocannon is like a 50 cal, then the heavy stubber is kind of like a saw, the, this, this squad assist weapon. So yeah, it's there. It's not necessarily a frontline weapon, but it's laying down a lot of fire uh, that can help with the front line. The melt gun firing out that superheated air can melt just about anything. Plasma gun basically creates the power of a small sun within it and then fires that at your opponent, often dealing some sort of area damage. Sun gun. Uh, grenade launcher. It's like a grenade, but it launches it. Sniper rifle for when you want to shoot them over there. A flamer, which is exactly what it sounds like. Some sort of tank hooked up to some sort of nozzle that is spewing fire everywhere. And then a LAS cannon, which, like we were talking about with LAS weapons, but much, much, much bigger. A LAS weapon that can take out tanks, can take out Imperial walkers. A LAS it's a, cannon. It's a LAS gun that actually does stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but a cannon, yeah. So that one, that one's pretty excellent. Uh, again, these support weapons contribute to the victory. They're not necessarily standalone, but they're ones that help contribute to the victory in the front line. Our final bit here is going to be uh, regimental equipment for senior officers. So for Belagarth, that just means anything. I mean, in either case, it's anything that kind of shows you off as the leader, anything that the leader might specifically need to carry. Uh, for Belagarth, that could be a peerage symbol, like I've got my chain, You've got your chain. Other Warmasters use, like, you know, big wooden beads. Um, a My white belt might, for example, count. Mm -hmm. uh, any awards that you might have, there are various orders that you can win rights to. These aren't actual, like, necessarily leadership things, but if someone's wearing that, there's a pretty good chance they have some leadership stuff going it on. It shows that they've been honored for the uh, honored by the community for some exemplary service. Unit leaders often have some kind of specific demarcation. I know the BOF have different things people are allowed to wear, but I'm not sure what the rules are, which is oftentimes on purpose. Yeah, you don't want the sniper across the way knowing what your insignia mean, because then they're going to know the difference between a private and a colonel, and you don't want them to know the difference between a private and a colonel. Mm -hmm. There were battles where Caesar talked about people were targeting him because his, you know, big red cloak, and like, 
the bright side was anyone who saw the big red cloak on his side went, there's Caesar, he's fighting with us. But anyone on the other side saw the big red cloak and went, there's Caesar, kill him. And that's the downside to having super obvious things. Uh, Vihil of the Eastern Urukai uh, wears a, he's the leader of them, and he wears a, like a horsehair crest. Man, it looks good. Oh, it does. But everybody knows who's in charge over there. Thinking of the Urukai, they do, I know, colors. Yeah, sometimes different color schemes for different ranking structures, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, you can put green on this, uh, on your chompy when you have this rank, or so on and so forth. And I don't know what, again, what those are. It's not my thing. I mean, I'm in a unit that doesn't have a specific leader, so slightly different for us. Yeah. I mean, we've been in, in more structured units, but yeah, at the moment, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, this last one uh, under here is the Great Hunt. I don't know if I've spoken about the Great Hunt, uh, the, or- the organization within Belagarth uh, that we have, but it's it's basically a, a system... Many times, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a system of earning awards outside of regular unit and realm stuff. I won't bore you again. But when we first started doing it, I would personally issue the members a necklace that had the beads of what they had completed in the order they had completed on the necklace, basically displayed through the different colors. And it was a, a pretty cool idea. People really liked them, and they liked to wear them on the field. I think mine lasted one day because of that. Yeah, they were breaking all over the place. We had, I, I can't remember if it was you or not, but somebody had theirs break uh, when we were at Hellgate doing the Gladiators, and it went all over the cafeteria. Yep, I think that was me. That was, it just bouncing beads everywhere we never found all of them but you weren't the only one like i remember it happened in the university ballroom i remember it happened just on the normal field like those necklaces while they looked cool and were a decent idea just were not practical and so anymore i've told people well if you want to include your insignia on your person just work it into your garb some way Uh, for instance i've got it in a purity seal on the back of my armor it's like a traditional purity seal for a space marine but instead of you know, some sort of oath to the emperor on the back of it, it displays my rank within the Great Hunt. Um, I know people who get driven nuts by how much we as a culture use belt flags, but really, I will swear by belt flags if you need to express a thing. Really kind of any kind of thing. Because they are less likely to get broken than the beads or the necklace or the whatever you're wearing. They're less likely to get it in the way, and they hurt a lot less than when you get whacked in the chain. I'm just going to yeah. use the chain very specifically here. Chain on the collarbone is not your best friend. Highly unpleasant sensation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are the ways that regimental equipment can be expressed within uh, our specific physical wargaming, Belagarth. And for the guardsmen, again, it's much like you would expect. Uh, the guardsman who's in charge often has access to the Tactica Imperium, which is like the collected works of whatever military knowledge they might have nearby, so they're equivalent of Sun Tzu or Vegetius. They're also going to have badges to display their rank. Now, if you have this book, or if you don't have this book, you can probably go look them up. I would recommend looking at this badges section. There are some really cool ones in there. Yeah, I've got a uh, bookmark set aside because I was getting to the point that, you know, we're recording soon. I got to get through this book, but I definitely wanted to uh, go back and make sure I took the time to see whatever weird award that the Imperium of all people is going to offer people. Yeah, they're pretty neat. Um, and they've got some really cool designs to them. In that same manner, insignia is another thing that you're going to see a lot, like actual proper insignia denoting your official rank within either the, the Navy or the Army or 
your Space Marine chapter, but in this particular case for Guardsmen, within your regiment, you're going to have a specific in insignia for that. Master Vox, so remember we were talking before about like the handheld Vox, which is kind of clunky, and the Vox beads, which can go in the ear. The Master Vox belongs to whoever's in charge, so that they can speak into the ears of everybody else. Makes All sense. at the same time. And then they also have cartographic equipment. Remember that the normal guardsmen should be carrying some form of surveyor gear. Well, that information gets sent back to uh, regiment command, and then they use cartographic equipment to make actual, accurate maps of the battlefield. Which, again, isn't so important for us in physical wargaming because our battlefield is usually already set for us. That being said, if I ever go do forest fighting again, I'm absolutely sending out scouts, and we're going to assemble some sort of map. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, let's, let's do this right when we do it. Yep. So that's the first section of the Imperial Infantryman's Handbook. Uh, we've kind of covered the supply needs of a regiment and of a camp, the equipment that goes along with those supply needs, and the proper conduct when you're dealing with those entities. And when it's coming to personal equipment for the field, uh, there's a lot of things that one needs to think about when you're bringing not just your weapons and support weapons, but also the, the various things like water and sunscreen. And then finally, we've talked about what regimental equipment or rank symbols might exist within you know, the guard or within physical wargaming. Uh, join us next episode for the Imperial Infantryman's Uplifting Primer, which will be part two of this fiction focus. Well, that'll End be fun. The book. A little bit less like dry military reading and a bit more uplifting primer. That should be exciting. Although yeah. it's still, I'm flipping through it as we speak. There's still a lot of uh, diagrams of bolters, so it's still, it's the same oh, yeah. book, it's just a different book. And it's got real, real small font, which is what I love. Yeah, it does. Oh, you're so excited. I can just feel it. It's just emanating through the phone here. I got my readers. I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we thank you all for joining us for this, uh, this first installment of our Fiction Focus. Uh, if you are looking for more of the Art of Wargaming in your life, you can check out our Instagram or our Facebook, where I try to post little informative or funny memes that kind of relate to what we're studying. Uh, we always feel free to email us, artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com, with any questions, comments, concerns, or critiques that you might want to communicate, or even just to, to have a chat. We don't mind talking with we you love either. It. Yeah, we do. Yeah, so that, that's, that's what we got for The Art of Wargaming. But if you're wanting to listen, if you're not quite satiated and you need something more to listen to, we've got plenty of good sister shows on the Earverm Network. Yeah, you can listen to, God, at this point, there is Fried Squirms, there is Word Balloons, there is General Nerdery. You can find all of these and kind of more specifically what they are at earverm.com, which is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M. And also, if you want to check out our stuff, you can check out our website as well, which is tawargaming.com, T-A-O-W... Well, just T-A-O, Wargaming. I, didn't, I don't want to spell all of Wargaming. This is long enough. <laughs> you can figure that out. Just look, at, just look at our name. It's spelled just like that. I believe in you, folks. All right. Well, I, I think for this week, it has been Yaga Malark. And I'm Thumbs. Signing out.